I can't say I've ever yelled at watching a movie, but the only thing I've ever said out loud watching a movie are these things. What? What the fuck? What the fuck was that? That's the only thing I ever say. But, uh, the earliest instance that I can remember of, you know, watching a movie on purpose on the internet, like as in earliest times, that made me like, like, oh, no way, and oh my God, and you know, this and that and the other, was watching Hard Boiled. That left me stomping <laughs> on my feet while watching it. That's a really cool movie. So, okay, I'll give you that passage. I haven't, I haven't seen that in a long time. Hard Boiled is a really cool movie. But I, I don't know that I would have. You and I have seen some movies together, and I have been like, I have absolutely said, what the fuck, very loud at some nonsense that just happened on screen. That's the only time I, you know, react to anything. Uh, if I say, what the fuck, during a video game, it's because something like I died and I shouldn't have died, or he didn't die and I did die. Or something that's just unforeseen due to uh, a little error or mechanic, or I guess it is scripted that happened. Yeah, then I'd be really annoyed. There's, then storytelling infects my fun again, you know what I mean? I can take a bad story, I can take a bad character, I can take ugly gra- ugly graphics. Is it enjoyable to play? That's all I give a fuck about video games for, man. I don't care about all this other shit. People worry about too much. 30 FPS? Is that fun per second? This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Logie Jarson. Here once again with my brother today. Here once again today with my brother. I always get those words backwards. Uh, Lord Master on YouTube, but I call him Thomas because that's his middle name. Thomas, how are you? It's been a while, Loki. I'm doing great. Only a few months, three months? I don't remember the intervals that we do this. We do them semi-infrequently, I suppose. Yeah, the last two uh, shows you did it with Stizzy. Yeah, he was really motivated to get some shit done. Uh, he's too busy playing new release game that I don't want to talk about, so that's why he's not here and you're here. Uh, it's also been a few episodes with you since we talked about it's Crusader Kings, right? Yeah, it's been a while because I think the last two episodes done, we didn't speak about them or any of the Paradox games at all. You were waiting for a big update, and that big update has since happened, yes. Yes, and I was also very busy with the ongoing other video series that was just, it's just happened. Yeah, you finished that, so you're on this new thing. Yes, a new thing because of a tiny little DLC along with uh, one of the mods that updated with their own player packs that makes it feel like a DLC in itself. Mm-hmm. What is it? Now, the first thing we're going to talk about here uh, is a little, uh, well, there's a thing about DLCs after I read that last last dev diary from Paradox Interactive regarding CK3, is the size of it. Like, you know how back in February, way earlier this year, we talked about Royal Court? That's a full-size yes. DLC. And then we briefly spoke about the Fate of Iberia, which was uh, like a, it's a 
flavor pack, which is specific region, not the whole affects the world's gameplay of all that. Only, mm-hmm. and then there's the uh, the most recent one, the friends and foes advent pack, not the DLC, not a flavor pack, but an advent pack, which is the smallest. Mm-hmm. In which these all cost money. Yes, of course, but this one is far cheaper, like five dollars. Because see, it's the size. Yeah. So what they added here is a uh, hundred new events. Um, talking about you know, like more personable ones, everything from you know friends, rivalries, and lovers, and so on and so forth, and as well as childhood-related events and memories of the character that you can look up for either yourself or someone else's, so you know what happened to, you know, this person in the past. And of course, when that person dies, in the memory tab, when you click on it, it goes blank because the person's dead because you know, dead man tell no tale. I thought this was a Vikings DLC, not a pirate DLC. Eh. Well, there, there was that Viking flavor DLC pack from the other year with Northern Lords. We talked about that. Hmm. And, and in, in the olden game, olden game, old game, where when you look up a character and you go to the relationships tab and you would see friends and rivals and lovers uh, of the character, like if you see this guy's friend with another... And it can only, it doesn't give you much description. It's like, oh, this ruler is friend with this courtier or this vassal or neighboring independent ruler. But now, with that event pack, now it gives a little more description of why they're friends and rivals and so on. Like, for um, example, because the last time I made a friend that I can remember, and it was, wasn't during a video recording, it was during my free time, where uh, it was playing late night because I was bored where I became friends with this one guy who came over here, a total foreigner, and we kind of had something in common after we had a feast. It's like, okay, now we're friends, officially, as it says in the description. And then it t- later turned into best friends. It's like, it's like, okay, how did this guy become best friend? What was a little event that described? Well, these two were having a chat at a bathhouse. And yes, both of the character models were nude, and they're just having a chat like they're in, sh- again, bathhouse together. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's one. I'm not making any yeah, jokes. That's one of the little descriptions there. And as for the, you know, rivals, obviously they give it a bit more negative description of why is this guy hate this the other so much, which the only one I could think of is this character swore vengeance because that man killed his dog. And okay, he went all John Wick. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes at least they added more events. That's the point of that. So it's like I told you descriptions, and now they added more events that features character interactions between friends and rivals, some positive, some negative, or even sometimes betrayals. And uh, or even further escalated to either best friend or um, nemesis, which is another level of rival. And uh, and when there's an Someone of that dynasty that isn't feud with another independent nation or a vassal within a nation due to various reasons, especially if you assassinate somebody and they know it was you, then it turns into a little feature called a house feud, which sometimes adds events where, you know, one's got to get even. <laughs> and, and if you do get even with the other, they give you the choice of, it's like, okay, do you want to settle this now or do you want to continue? What do you mean, continue? Continue to rivalry. Like, just keep being mad at each other? Yes. Can you imagine? Of, 
I mean, I actually did that. I get why people hold grudges for years, of course. Yes, uh, I did that once. It hasn't happened in that new video series that I've been doing lately, but it happened on a little six-episode mini-series I did. We had a little house feud, but that was considered what I would call a side plot, whereas the main plot is obviously, again, that little story that I told you about the South Indian Trojan War. That's what that six-episode mini-series was about. Yes, we had a little side mm. story of a for feuding with another house from another country um, that is not related to the people that were after who stole, you know, Guy's wife. Completely unrelated. Yeah, I got it. And as well as other little childhood events, which I'm sure if I were to play as a, a child ruler and not, and not the person who's raising one, I'm sure there's probably a few more events where I could have a little more control of what I could do with the decisions of, the, of those set events. But that's not what the new video series is. That was a miniseries. No, that's just a small part of a larger picture that we get into that part of the ongoing video series that I've been doing, which includes mm -hmm. that uh, that flavor pack. Not the Paradox Interactive made or sponsored, but by one of the mods, which is the Rice mod that I probably mentioned about before. The Regional Immersion and Cultural... Enrichment. It took me a while to, with the last part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their newest uh, flavor pack was called uh, North Atlantic from Iceland to Finland. That's spelled with a V because I'm not sure how it's pronounced. If it's Finland like the country Finland or um, Vin as in like vines, like vineyards. I would assume Vin. Yeah. So that newest flavor pack which almost feels like a deal on the scene itself because it's in fact the largest flavor pack that the mod creator which i don't know if you want me to mention his name or not or we still going with go ahead he ain't listening yeah. to this which is uh cybrix khan which for months i haven't figured out how to pronounce his name but it, until i heard a little video where he had his voice out um a futurette for his upcoming flavor pack which is now the main feature of why am I doing this video series on an area which I often normally avoid because of the popularity, because of far too many players played up in Scandinavia or Britannia. Which is a really weird thing to not, reason to not do things, but I've talked about that before. So now, uh, so it's the largest flavor pack since the Terran Basin flavor pack, which is the one with the Silk Road over there. And then this one where... You get to relive the history of Norse Greenland in Rice's first struggle, the colonization of Greenland, where there's a lot more things. Not just only you that is involved, but also all the other rulers that are involved in the Nordic Seas region, which covers Norway, Scotland, Northern Ireland, the Ulster region in particular, and a tiny bit of Dublin, York or Jordvik in Norse, and London, because of major population centers there, and proximity with the North Sea, obviously. Mm. I know a lot of this stuff because I played Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh -huh. But they never talk of Greenland or the seas west of Iceland, obviously, have they? Uh, no, not typically. Yeah, because we know in actual history, Greenland was discovered in 986 AD, and... And it was about two decades later than uh, when they discovered it. And then two decades later, then they discovered uh, Vinland. Uh, you know, that little 
land where the Vikings did make a brief stay up in Newfoundland as we know it today, which is a part of Canada. So now you get to do all that here on this uh, flavor pack. What can you do? Oh, Jesus Christ, a lot. Huh? Or by the gods. Give me an overview. We don't need to go specifically every single whale hunt. Yeah, the whale hunt is just a little thing they added for um, each of the cultures that are proximity to that area, particularly Norse, Norwegian, and if, but that's, you know, experienced whalers, cultural tradition, which is, you could say that's a regular version, and you're the only ones that could do that. The, the Sami, the, the, uh, Bretons, that's what I almost said Bretons, but no, it's Bretons, they're the Celtic. Like the Elder Scrolls race? They share the same name, yes. Hmm. Well, that's where they came from, they came from Brittany, that part of northwestern France. And many Bretons still live there, and they still kept their identity there. Um, but most notably, there is only one culture that has the master whalers' cultural tradition. Basically, the ones who do it better than any of these people, including the Norse, which is the Bosque people. You know, the ones that live in northern Spain that are not related to any other European ever. Because they're, is they're darker of skin? No, they're just as white as the Europeans. They're just, language-wise, they're just not related to any of them. Isn't it Basque? Are we sure it's not Basque? Not sure, because if you say in their native language, it would be Uskal. That's the... Well, I don't speak any languages except English and a little bit of languages I don't need to talk about here. Uh, anyways, back up to Scandinavia, um, where obviously you got to save up your money, um, uh, because they tend to be a little expensive should you send out an expedition to the seas west of Iceland. And eventually that explorer, whoever you assigned which my guy in this case um, was named pretty simple. It's named pretty simple because it's not a Norse-sounding name because his name was David, but spelled in a Norse script, obviously, with that little accent at the end. So, yeah, Dave the Explorer. <laughs> and when he uh, discovered Greenland, uh, actually, in the text, it said it was... I mean, I'm not reading it. I'm just using his memory top of my head where he found this large landmass, which he named Greenland, not the historical Eric the Red, huh. which we did that in 879 AD, so we did it 100 years earlier than the historical discovery. Hmm. And so that began the Greenland struggle, which is the main feature uh, of the main appeal to that flare pack. Because you know how in Fate of Iberia DLC, I never talked about the Iberian struggle because I have not done a playthrough over there and, and don't plan on it anytime soon because many people have done that already. <laughs> so the way the, how that works is the struggle that has four phases. And as of the last recording, it's still on its first phase, settlement, where the initial Greenland settlements are established. And it's likely going to go into integration where... Greenland's networks of Europe and Americas um, grow and thrive, in which we're trying to avoid subsistence, subsistence I should say, um, which is growing but manageable challenges in maintaining the settlements. And, and there's this little chart that I see in the uh, flavor pack guide where it's like, yes, it's first settlement, then it's going to turn to integration, but sometimes it may turn to subsistence or sometimes it may turn into marginalization where that fourth phase is that its settlements will face decline as links to Europe and the Americas disintegrate. And much, much, much later in the series, like when I get into the 1200s, 
it's far more likely you're going to go into marginalization, which is to go coincide with the climate changes around that time of medieval history, uh, where people started leaving Greenland or starting to abandon the settlement and return to Europe or go where else. Um, and you, yourself, or any rulers that are involved in this will try your damnedest to try to, you know, keep it alive. Um, and it's going to lead to one of the choices of the endings. In fact, there's three endings to the struggle, which who knows what it'll turn out to be later in that series. One is regional integration, where Greenland develops high enough resilience and networks to establish itself as a crucial, critical link between Eurasia and the Americas in the North Atlantic. The second good ending is native sovereignty, also known by Cyrix Khan as Sunset Invasion, the bootleg version, which is a which is a parody or parody uh, reference to the Sunset Invasion DLC from Crusader Kings 2, where it's the Aztecs invading Europe. Okay, that's incredibly esoteric. Yeah, so in native sovereignty, uh, it's only possible if somehow a Native American culture asserts a permanent presence across the North Atlantic. The AI is obviously highly unlikely to achieve this, and it's only doable by a player if you decide to, for whatever reason, convert to a Native American culture, or just use a ruler designer from the beginning to start the game with. However, if things don't work out, the failure ending, which is the third decision, that's abandoned Greenland. If its values are high and it's in a marginalization phase and can be costly disappointing it, so it's just basically at your discretion, which is just to say, okay, pull out, jettison, we're done with it. And a fourth hidden. Why even yeah, bother? And a fourth hidden ending is automatic failure. If the pressures reach a sufficiently high number, and there's a chance that every year the struggle will end on its own. Which, again, it won't happen until 1200s AD, which would probably be like episode 60-something for me. For going that far. You're really going that far? Well, I'm in the early to mid-900s as of the last recording. I've recorded about 12 episodes in that series so far. So it's still relatively early. <laughs> and we're not yet Norwegian culture yet, since the series is mainly set in Norway. So it hasn't diverted yet where the Norse become Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish uh, separately. Nobody's established their nationality, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's many things you can do when you're interacting with Greenland, um, which every, not just you, but everybody else that contributes to it if you happen to be living in that said struggle region, such as the having the estates and sending supplies on whatever they need to support Greenland mm -hmm. and uh, and also like we mentioned about whale hunting um, which which is not related to Greenland it's just something that began with and the purpose of that is it's just basically gambling yeah. where you it's like okay we're spending a hundred gold and see if we can make a profit should the hunt succeed if you if they didn't succeed then you get no money but if there was some success but it depends on how much you get between one gold or 250 gold um, in between. I only had two successes and one failure. Uh, the one success was big time. That was episode one, <laughs> where it was 215 gold. We made a profit. <laughs> and the other one was about 145 gold, where it's like, eh, you made some back. <laughs> That's it, it's gambling. And then, and the walrus hunt, which is basically another 
possible source of income. I mean, after all, we're Norse. The best way to make money is go raiding for other places. And then here's the alternate way to uh, get money, even though you're just pressing your luck. And the walrus, Indeed. Yeah, and walrus hunts uh, also has a very degree of chances of success unless you invest more money into it. Like it's like instead of a minor hunt, well then let's make it a great hunt so we can have an almost guaranteed chance that it will succeed. And then you would get that little event that's like, here, here's how much money we got out of it. And and sometimes you would have little events um, because there were two instances um, where, one, we encountered some native woman who was who happened to be in that area and our Norse brethren who were hunting up there from our Greenland estate actually had a brief conflict with them before both sides pulled back. And the other was, hey, we found a... Uh, a narwhal horn. And they think it came from a, a unicorn or something. But not the unicorns they think of as a horse, but I mean like some sort of sea creature that described it as such with a single horn. <laughs> See, if I were like one of your subjects, I'd be really concerned with the amount of time you're wasting spending it on like hunting walrus tusk. What, spending, you know... Like, all the money that you've made or looted? I don't know. Infrastructure, uh, defenses, uh, your military, uh, food. Is everyone is everyone in your uh, kingdom eating walruses? Actually, the, I'm sure the Greenland estates, uh, they probably need it. But here in Europe, um, not necessary. They're only interested in ivory. Um, the blubber... Uh, I was thinking of the damn whales again. Um, not the fucking walruses. Um... Because, you know, for oil and for other valuables, that is far more important for those people up there and not down in Europe. <laughs> They're only interested in the ivory, which is a cheaper alternative to elephant ivory they get from Africa or India. It, it just, it's just this pack, this is a flavor pack you said, yes, right? It's just this flavor pack seems more like side content, side content. Like, okay, you can go to Greenland as a side gig. But during that side gig, you do more side gigs. Yes, it's just something else for uh, a Norse player to do other than the typical, you know, go out and conquer a coastal region or raid for loot. I know, but that, that's that's the point of the game. This is the exact same thing we did the last time we talked about a DLC in Crusader Kings. Actually, we talked about it, another fucking flavor bag from this. Probably the same dude. Where he's like, look at all the things I've added that have nothing to do with crusading and nothing to do with king. Uh, like the tower base one with the Silk Road? Yes, that dick fuck to do with the region or the stuff you would normally do. This is a different game he's shoving in here. Yeah, and he's still got more plans for future, um, future flavor packs. I mean, as of this recording, he's doing one for Eastern Europe, finally, um, because when you... No, oh, where the Crusades actually happened? Terrific. Oh, I don't know about the, if he's going to do the Baltic one, which there was some crusading there. It would be called the Northern Crusades, you know, Teutonic Order. I'm just saying they had to go there, go through there. <laughs> or, he, or he could pick uh, Poland or Bohemia or even Kazaria, which are also more well-known to him. But again, he's also a you know, university scholar, so he has his own bias of wherever he would want to do a flavor pack on, particularly anything in the Eastern world. But this one is just something that's out of the ordinary because he wanted to do a flavor pack on, on this corner of the world and then now this one in that corner of the world. <laughs> so this was... I guess I'm fine with that. It, it just seems to be adding a lot of extra fluff. There's a lot of fluff. 
Like when I say fluff, I mean things that don't affect gameplay. Yeah, it's just more of a money sink. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, they are sending out expeditions, sending out on hunts to gamble for possibly get more money out of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If I was like one of your underlings, I don't know what they're called in Norse mythology. Uh, uh, one of your house carls, one of your jarls, would be like, you know what? Uh, the jarl is spending way too much. What's the currency? Uh, silver. Yeah, silver is most common. <laughs> yeah, we're spending way too much silver hunting all these walruses all across Green slash Iceland. I say we kill him and go back to fucking Norway. Uh, Fuck this. What's funny about that is when I mentioned about involved rulers in the struggle, their vassals can do all that too. They, vassals, that's the yeah, word. Their vassals can do the same thing as their liege does. So so everybody's independent to one another when it comes to decisions that relates to Greenland. It's like, yeah, you can send out your hunt. Well, your vassals can do the same thing too on their own flag and, and house. I guess that would depend on how loyal they are to you. Well, yeah, everybody plays a part there. And some of them uh, who also live in that area but are not directly involved, like, for example, those two counties up there, so to speak, belong to the Sami culture, those indigenous um, people that are not related to the Norse um, but slightly related to Finnish. Yeah, those Sami people who are also into whaling, um, but they're not involved in the Greenland because they have no idea what the heck is that over there. And, and when the Norse viewed it as such, dude, it's like, it's like, hey, you're not involved in that. What are you doing up there? Huh. Hmm. And so they're kind of more of a slightly troublesome. <laughs> Same thing for any of the, uh, I mean, we mentioned London as being one other region, part of the struggle. No, the Anglo-Saxons are not involved in the Greenland affair thing. They have no idea what that is either. But the Scots and the Irish do. Because the Gaelics did explore into Iceland at one point of their lives, even before the Norse, even though it's a controversial claim by historians that, like, who were the first inhabitants of Iceland? Well, it was the Irish monks uh, before the Norse came in. So, so, hold on, I'm going to interrupt you, because, like, what's the actual point? Because you can see going into a populated area and saying, okay, you're all my subjects now, and if you want to fight me, I'll kill you, and I'm taking all your resources. What are the great resources in ice-class Greenland that you need to spend expeditionary forces and time and money? What are you getting out of this? Because there ain't people, because there's no people. No, nobody's up there except for rare occasions of these uh, Inuit peoples. You know, the one we call them Eskimos. I think that was more of a Northern American thing. but Yeah, they, I believe it was around 1100s or 1200s they actually migrated into uh, Greenland. It's just from the west. Yes, from the west, they actually went across. And uh, and as of the last recorded playthrough, we have not encountered other native groups that live in the areas of modern-day Canada. We haven't gone to those areas yet, but we did go to that um, that little island in Newfoundland, as we know it today, where Leif Erikson had his brief stay. But we haven't established an outpost yet. That's still going to happen later on in that series where we'll eventually establish an outpost there. And maybe when we increase its viability eventually, we'll establish a permanent colony there. And then see, too, if we'll have more interactions with those native peoples there. If Whether if it'll be cordial and friendly to be trained with or it'll be a little more hostile. So you could say we have no opinion of them. We just saw the land and we're looking for any resource that may be useful to us and bring it back home. 
All right, best of luck to you. Yeah, we're still in the exploratory phase, settlement phase of this playthrough so far. And I'm sure as the um, playthrough continues, especially if it should the period of the Christianization of Scandinavia occur and when we transition from tribal government to feudal, and then it'll be a lot easier to make more money because obviously you got cities and temples, you know, more, you know, proper taxes instead of here's all the money that we looted or made from wars and whale hunts. Talking about, you know, actual economy by taxation when we go feudal eventually, especially when we transition from Norse to Norwegian culture. So I'm sure it'll probably be a little easier to manage in the later eras. Yeah, things get less complicated the more you play the game, really. Yeah, especially uh, that little viability thing regarding uh, Vinland over there. Like, if we keep sending those expeditions out to West multiple times and slowly increase viability, it'll eventually, I would say around thousands or 1180, it'll give me a much higher chance where it's like, okay, now we can establish that outpost without any issues. Because right now, as the last quarter, if you try to Establish an outpost over here right now. It's like 27% chance of succeeding. So we don't want to do that prematurely. Otherwise, I would... Why would you fail at building an outpost? Well, there's no opposition. I mean, we mentioned there is no opposition there. It's just... Um... So what, the walruses are going to attack your walls? What do you mean? Why do you have a low chance of building a settlement? Just build it. We just have to keep exploring back and forth, back and forth, each passing decade to increase at least 1% to slightly improve the chances. And, and Cybrix Khan pointed out in one of his dev diaries um, that it says it's a waste of money. So good luck with that, basically. So he put in a thing you shouldn't do? Just to make it hard on yourself? Yes. It, it, again, it's more gambling. But if you want to increase... I just don't understand the, lo I don't understand the logic behind being unable to build an outpost in a place where there's no people. It's so, uh... No one's going to stop you. What's too cold? Okay, no shit. <laughs> Greenland. It's cold. Yeah, but it's it's further away from Greenland. That's the issue for the Norse of why they didn't stay there for too long and why Leif Erikson... Yeah, I, in real life, it's too fucking cold. Nobody wants to be there and there's nothing there but walruses. Yeah, they went to some other part of Canada like Hilluland or Markland, one of those two areas where... Yeah, where you can grow grains, you can crops. There's no crops in the Arctic Circle. I don't know if anyone knows this. There aren't plants. But there's a lot of timber. They say they actually got timber from there and they use that timber... To put it on Greenland. They didn't bring it back to Europe with those. Well, then go cut some trees and build a fucking sled. You know, like Balto or Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they came to the area of Newfoundland, uh, we know today, is because, you know, the land is fertile, they say. And, and you can actually grow wine there. That's the reason why the land got its name. Yeah, crops, because it's below the Arctic Circle. The, the, the whole point of the Arctic and Antarctic Circles is that it's the viability of crops and trees and plants. If you're south of that in the Ar Arctic Circle, you can grow things. If you're north of that, you can't because there's no dirt. <laughs> and I'm sure when time passes um, into the later era, some um, that we would start seeing Greenlandic characters, um, which is a divergence from the Norse culture that was created as soon as we discovered Greenland. That also happened in a game where there's a separate Greenlandic culture which has its own cultural traditions. Such as how could they, go such ahead, go as um, well, obviously the whale hunt ability, but they also have uh, dog sleds. We Norse do not know dog sleds, but they do. 
But they're your subjects. It's an outpost you created. How did you create a culture that you don't have control over? It's autonomous in a way. Um, again, that's impossible. The only presence we do have there is a family estate we planted there. We have an. You know what? The the only okay. That's not impossible. The only way that could happen is if you do build an outpost and then leave. If you just say, okay, here, a hundred people are going to stay here. We're going back to Norway. <laughs> create us. Create a society. Go. <laughs> And what's crazy about that Greenlander culture, Peter, since we kind of did it in a historical way since we were Norse, it's possible you could do that with any other culture that happens to be there. Like, can you imagine a a Gaelic version of the Greenlander culture with their own cultural traditions that is similar to the Irish or Scots peoples? In real life, no. But in this wacky world of Crusader Kings where cultures will autonomously sp pop up out of nowhere, yes. <laughs> yes. Eventually, I assume, next time we come around, you're going to read me the story of how you elected a walrus senator. I haven't played as a lunatic character yet, but I did divorce one guy who turned into a lunatic after he was drunkard because he got shit-scared by the nothing pull. The nothing the pull. Um, it's spelled N-I-thing. Um, it's kind of like a... It's, I mean, it's, it's a Norse thing. It's exclusive to there. It's part of the... One of those flavor events from the Northern Lords pack. Um, that was not something covered in AC Valhalla, so I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you're being branded as a nothing. That's what they're trying to say. Uh, like, say, uh, you are shunned, uh, an outcast to the public at large. That's what it is, basically. And that drove him crazy. Yes, because he saw um, a pole, you know, kind of just imagine a totem pole, um, but it's, you know, but it's a nothing pull, um, which is something that really uh, made him afraid. He had a mental breakdown. I tried to talk him out of it, but he, but he had a mental breakdown. He started drinking, and later became a lunatic. And I'm like impossible man. Originally married him because he was a genius. He had a genius trait, and but more notably, he was the only Anglo-Saxon character to have worshipped the Norse gods. <laughs> That's probably why he went crazy, because it's all horseshit. And he was a spawn character, too. We didn't raid and brought him back as a prisoner and made him convert. No, he was he born and lived there. We just found him there. It just huh. we, we, We've left in video games our, I guess, our Greek-Roman influence that we're now in the Norse Age. Because Ace of Valhalla and those two new God of War games and Valkyrie Elysium and then this flavor pack is just like, okay, we're all in on the Norse shit. And it's like, well, the Norse shit sucks. You just know Thor and from uh, the Marvel movies? Nah, it's much stupider. But at least what I've been doing here is some degree of realism of how they lived and died. And there's Greenland. Yeah, the Greenland stuff when you can't build an outpost and a culture pops up out of nowhere isn't realistic, but everything else, sure. You think you're going to get 100 videos out of this? Uh, as I said, I predict about 60. Um because that first character, I mean, I started that series with a created character, which is the first time I've done it since the old Bosnian series two years ago. Because the last couple of playthroughs I did it with a somewhat of a, like sometimes the character stuff is historical and the other is just, all oh, that's added there by the game because they couldn't figure out who's ruling what. So they just made up a guy that isn't created. I don't by know me. why they don't always, considering you can just, you outlive the people anyways. You know, like Famous people, even if... No matter how famous a person is, they don't live past 120. So, 
There's going to be more people through your empire. Yeah, and I've yet to play as a character, which is something I'm trying to vote for, and which is a Scandinavian elective thing we've been doing, the elective forum monarchy, where it's like, yeah, we have veteran explorers now, as you know, we're going to keep exploring the seas west of Greenland. That one day we're going to elect a guy who's a veteran explorer, and it has its own benefits that would be useful, such as diplomatic range, where now he knows the other countries in Europe further away from there that the others couldn't. We appointed a walrus ambassador. Uh, I, uh, I have one last thing, because now that the walrus thing reminded me. Um, and the most recent episode we've done, episode 12, um, as of the last recording, we've established a Nordic um, walrus ivory carving center where you reuse that ivory for something uh, rather than a thing to have you know, for those Greenlanders. Um, but now down here, we just carve them into works of art and then export them to whoever wants to buy them as walrus ivory was traded throughout Europe, Middle East, and even as far as um, China at one point um, during the later centuries. Yeah, but crazy people didn't think you could make your junk bigger by eating them, so it's not as a problem as it is in Africa. Yeah. So that's pretty much all the, most of the features that, we've, that we did for that new flavor pack. Which is again biggest one that he's ever put put out. I, I said this the last time we did this, dude. But like, I don't know why Paradox isn't hired him or bought him out, or he hasn't made his own damn game because he keeps adding in things to this this series of games. Yeah, but he's gonna keep doing that until his who God knows. But again, should he ever? Do more flavor packs. Expect more than to be in the Eastern world rather than the Western world since he has a expertise on that part of the world, particularly the Iranian and Silk Road worlds. That's what he's mostly into. Another hunt over there. Uh, I, meanwhile, sometimes I get into this. You know this from living with me, but I sometimes get into these gaming moods where I'll be like, okay, I've decided I want to play every single Call of Duty game. I've decided I want to play every single Sonic game. I decided I want to play every Castlevania game, and I just buy them all in big bulk. And most of the time, I get most of the way through. Uh, I don't recall why, as I usually do with these streaks that I go on, why I wanted to get back into Call of Duty. Uh, the last Call of Duty I played single-player and multiplayer was Black Ops 3, seven-some-odd years ago. Yeah. And uh, we've already gone over why I think that's the worst shooter campaign of all time. Yeah, in this here podcast. I said, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I didn't talk much about the multiplayer at that point because I, I didn't think I played it. But looking back at it, I did play the multiplayer Black Ops 3. And that also really turned me off from it because that was one where like slide canceling and jumping and just like the over-engineered mouse and pointer sort of hyper movement you know, the jumping Call of Duty took place. Like They started with Advanced Warfare, and apparently it was also an infinite. Anyways, that was, that was my breaking point. So it's been seven years. So this past couple of months, for super cheap, I bought the last seven minus two Call of Duty games I've missed. It's actually not, it's not like closer to nine years. Look, I got everything. I skipped Ghost, because I wasn't going to replay Ghost, because that was a piece of shit, and I hated it. And I wasn't going to replay Black Ops 3, because uh, I hated it. But I bought and or replayed uh, Advanced, 
Infinite, World War II, Cold War, Vanguard. I'm sure I'm missing something. Oh, Modern Warfare Reboot. Uh, and I replayed the PS3 360 ones, you know, the Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3, Black Ops, Black Ops 2, World at War. Uh, some of those hold up to a degree. I know Modern Warfare 1 and 2 got remastered, which is weird because they also got rebooted. And Modern Warfare 2 uh, has just recently come out, the new the sequel to the reboot, so Reboot Part 2. What's the last Call of Duty game you played? Uh, Cold War, Black Ops Cold War. Just to, f oh, just, right. you did just to finish the campaign uh, that I wasn't... I mean, I remember we many episodes ago we did talk about uh, Black Ops Cold War from my experiences, and uh, I kind of stopped in the middle um, of the campaign by the time we did it, and I never got it to its conclusion, which I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about all the other games we played. Eh, I don't know if it's worth talking about. It's not very good. Here's the thing. It's like... I mean, you can talk about rate the campaigns uh, in what order and all that when you get done with okay, it. Okay, so so let's just let's just set aside the PS3 360 era. Let's just move just move past that. We've talked about that in previous shows, even if not with you. Years ago. So I really... It, you know what's weird? Is Infinite is the lowest rated Call of Duty game and I think it might be my favorite. Why is that? It's like Star Wars without Jedi. Uh, I like the guns. I like the space travel. I actually like the ship combat. Uh, the It's first-person flying ship, which you, I would normally hate. But the, like, I can't call them air brakes. And the space brakes make so much more sense than in a plane. Like, I had to do flying missions in World War II, and I had to do flying missions in Vanguard. And they're horrible! But it works in Infinite Warfare because it's, you know, full 100, 360 degrees of movement. I guess more because you're going in space. There's no degrees of movement, infinite degrees of movement. But people really don't like that game. And I assume it's because of multiplayer. I didn't play it. Um, so that's my pro probably my favorite of the next-gen era, which isn't current-gen era. Uh, at the bottom, I'd have to put World War II. Just because it had really interesting character work. World War II's campaign had a, a, a totally not Call of Duty thing. It didn't feel they like added it. In, no, they added in health packs. What fucking Call of Duty game has health packs? That sounds like Battlefield. It's like, yes, it is absolutely Battlefield. They, they, I, I don't want to say ripped off necessarily. Although Battlefield, or excuse me, the naming schemes in these games. World War II feels a lot like Battlefield 1 or 5. In terms of the campaign narrative, the war stories, yeah. boring ass shit. The difference being, Call of Duty's has a, a single storyline following multiple characters, and I actually thought the character work in that was pretty good. All things considered, like the characters were characters, they weren't caricatures. You didn't just learn about them for one mission, then they die. You know, you went with your main squad of guys through, say, about a dozen missions. But where it derived was in the gameplay part because you had to if you got hurt you had to call one of your partners like hey i need a med pack and he would throw you a med pack hey i need ammo and he would throw you ammo hey spot some enemies for me and then he would spot enemies call an artillery strike this was during the campaign which is the most not call of duty thing that there's ever been and also a really terrible flying mission when you had to like protect bombers or something or be a bomber hmm I had be getting that confused with Vanguard, because Vanguard also takes place in World War II, and is also bad. Uh, what was the other one? Oh. Modern Warfare Reboot had far too many stealth missions, and a lot of... I don't want to get into this on this podcast here, 
intersectional nonsense. But playing-wise, it was fine. It's like, I'm not real happy with that they changed all the voice cast, even though they brought back a lot of characters. And that's a real problem in... Eh, problem. That's a real thing in Modern for 2's, the reboot sequel. Because they brought back basically every character you may or may not have known from the first two games, from 2007 and 2009. But all new voice casts and new mod character models are like, oh, why is Soap so fucking tiny now? Why is he even more... <laughs> why is he even more Scottish than he was in the previous game? Why is Shepard no longer, you know, Lance Henriksen, deep voice, big mustache, flat cap guy? No, he's just generic, bald, white, southern man. That's who Shepard is. It's like, ah, oh, come on, guys. If, if, just for telling me that, if, if me and my visualizations you mentioned, it's like, okay, he's not Lance Hendrickson. Instead, it's just some white southern man and who's, you know, military rank and made me think of Colonel Sanders. Not, no, because Colonel Sanders is a mustache. This guy doesn't have a mustache. Oh. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name. He passed away. He was in Law and Order for a really long time. He was, a, I think, a senator. He was in Die Hard 2. Huh. When you say Law and Order, like the original? Yeah, uh, Law Jerry Order, he, was the, he was the DA in the later seasons. Jerry huh? Orbach? No, 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 he was the DA in the later oh. seasons. He's a southern guy. I don't remember his name, but he was in a bunch of things. That's who the new Shepherd reminds me the most of. Anyways, Modern Warfare Reboot. Uh, you don't get to play as Price, I don't think, ever. He plays mostly Gaz, but they don't call him Gaz until the end because it's like, oh, pulled the word I got from under you. And you play as, I can't remember the name of the guy because they killed him. He's so unimportant. He dies at the end of it. But the uh, Arab girl with the big nose, Farah, gets to live, and you play a bunch of levels as her. There's a level... Oh, my God, I just remembered it. Fuck, this is why I don't like playing, because I wouldn't remember shit like this. <sighs> There's a level where you play as a very young Farah. I think her last name is Karim. And the Russians invade your home of Uzbekistan, not Afghanistan. And you have to sneak around a Russian soldier who just killed your father, wants to kill you and your slightly older brother. And you're like maybe six years old, seven years old, and you got to stab this Russian dude in the ankles. And then he's like, ah, oh, you little bitch, or whatever they say. And then he throws you aside to pick up a gun. So you got to go hide in vents again. It's like it took me ten minutes to kill this one Russian guy as a little kid. And then, oh no, sneak through the town. The Russians are killing all your family, all the, all the people in the town. So sneak through, hide through the long grass. It's like, fucking hell, this is awful. Uh, you were literally playing a child soldier in Call of Duty. That's that's what they decided to do for the Modern Warfare reboot. Mm -hmm. Got nothing no, for that? I got nothing. It's just, I wasn't there. Well, it's not a good story. I think the gameplay, I, I do think there were too many stealth missions, which is another problem in Modern Warfare 2 reboot. But uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with the gameplay per se. Uh, what else? Vanguard, Vanguard, however, I'm going to jump to the next gen here. Oh, boy. Terrible awful it had all the problems of of the previous oh, train thank you so much can you hear this train yes sir i hear the train i apologize for this train vanguard had all the problems in modern warfare plus all the problems of world war ii there was a, a bombing mission i think we had to be a, a dive bomber and that was a nightmare to control there was a whole bunch of stealth missions there was a mission where you shot down in the pacific so you had to like sneak away from Japanese soldiers, and it's like, oh, you got no weapons, which is something called new Call of Duty loves to do. There's another mission in Modern Warfare 2 reboot where you have no weapons. They just love doing this shit. 
Don't get caught. Even though this is a game about soldiers. Anyways. Oh, Vanguard's just... It's not a good storytelling, and I don't care about the characters, but they try to make you as we like... Oh, yeah, we're an elite force of a mixed race and gender and mixed nationalities. Oh, yeah, we're so diverse here in World War fucking two. Got a black uh, English squad leader and an Australian munitions expert and an American pilot and a Russian lady sniper. Oh, yeah, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch. I was about to say uh, Allied Avengers. <laughs> yes, it, very much so. Dude, dude there is... a part in the final level because throughout the campaign you play as these five different characters i've just described to you yes, four four these four different characters just described mm -hmm. to you in the last level you switch between them the way you switch between them is like you're playing the commander first and he's like you go do that thing so he tosses a grenade pack you follow the grenade pack slowly through the air the other character catches it and now you're playing as that character it's like fucking hot potato so switch it's not like the gta 5 character switch no those are interesting and cool um and later on, it's like, oh, look up. What the, I can't remember his fucking name in this terrible <laughs> game. Polina, I think, is the only one named. Once she got top billing, uh, Laura Bailey is Polina, the Russian sniper mm -hmm. lady. Her home in Stalingrad is invaded, and she has to be the bestest sniper ever and inspire all the Russian citizens, despite the fact that she's like a fucking 17-year-old girl. So, yeah, okay, this is 2021, all right. Anybody could do it over in Russia. That's acceptable over there, but around here, we may have a problem with that. I don't buy that a 17-year-old Russian inspired all of Russia uh, oh. to resist the German invasion. Uh, yeah, it's just one person. I'm sure there were many other examples. It's literally propaganda. Uh, that... It's like the Vasily sniper story, except that actually happened. Uh, <laughs> they just made up a person who said they yeah, did it. Don't compare it to... See, they, they couldn't use the Vasily story because they already did yes. in 2008. World at War. Yeah, yeah. That's where they use the same story. So I was like, shit, we can't do that again. I mean, they can, because who the hell would care? No one would notice except me, you, and maybe Rob and Susie. Um, anyways, Vanguard sucks. <laughs> I mean, I could see why but, it was oh, such man, a mess. That's the other thing. Fucking hell. I played Vanguard after I played Cold War, but Vanguard cements the shared universe. Before, in the last generation, so it's like, you know, Modern Warfare was its own thing. Black Ops had its own thing. They shared continuity with their own series, right? But they didn't cross over or nothing. Black, uh, Cold War and Vanguard make the universes canonical together. An impossibility. The old Black Ops universe? At the end of Vanguard, you're flying away in a German plane, and it's like, oh, I found files for something called Project Nova and Project Rebirth, and whatever. I think that's what the Zombies one is called. And uh, something else that references Modern Warfare. It's so ridiculous. Like It's impossible for this thing to... In Cold War... I had no issues with Cold War gameplay-wise, except for, like, sneaking part. And I was like, oh, you have to lockpick. Here's a little wiggle stick. I was like, what the fuck is this? This isn't Call of Duty. Whatever. And then it's like, oh, solve the puzzles. you got to track down collectibles. And when you get the collectibles, you get evidence. And you got to analyze the evidence to solve the riddle. And when you solve the riddle, you find out who the bad guy is. So you send off your guys to go kill a bad guy. And you play a 10-minute mission. It's like, oh, my God, what a waste of time this is for side content. But in that, do you remember the embassy? It's an embassy? Yes, it's an embassy. The embassy level where no, you play no, as a no. Russian KGB spy. No, 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 KGB headquarters. Huh? KGB headquarters, whatever. The, you play as a Russian spy, mm -hmm. or rather a spy, a Russian spy who's spying on Russia. Traitor, I guess we would call them, double agent. Yes. And you walk into a room and fucking Gorbachev is there and some other Russian guys you've never heard of. And Zakayev is there. And, uh... 
And fuck, yeah, fucking Zakayev walks in the room. A young Imran Zakayev, who, if you don't know, was the bad guy in the very first Modern Warfare game in 2007. And they just threw him in there. He's just like, hi, I'm young Zakayev. I still have both of my arms. It's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I forgot to mention this, but Modern Warfare Reboot also references the events of 4. Because Captain Price talks about Zakayev like, as if he killed him in Yeah, yeah in 1995. Yeah. in uh, Up in so uh, Chernobyl, like, Ukraine. Chernobyl. I'm sorry, not touching it. My bad. Um, so that also shares the universe. So it's like, it's a reboot, but it has canon elements from the previous series. That's literally impossible storytelling-wise. So I was annoyed. Cold War also annoyed me in terms of, like, your character not having a voice. And it's like, okay, the only reason they wouldn't give you a voice because they've been doing that the last few games giving you an actual character with a character model and everything, is because they're going to kill you. Spoilers, they kill you at the end of the game. And also you can be, like, non-binary, which is also uh, bullshit. You mentioned the, the ending. Um, it's actually, like, I've read somewhere, I think it's possible you get to do the ending the other way around, where... Uh, where you kill the... the uh, what's that guy's name? I can't remember any names, because they're so unimportant people. Uh, uh, something like that. Um, the, um, new, the new... Wood, the new... No, no. Oh. What was the name of that guy? I can't remember anybody's name. We cut all this power out, so it's fine. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is I think it's... Uh, I, think, oh, I forgot the alternate ending based on description. I think it's just you not doing what you're supposed to be doing at the very, at the climax of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the gag is that you were a Russian spy. They brainwashed you again because Black Ops just loves his brainwash gag. It's like, oh, now you work for us. And it's like, oh, no, the brainwashing is breaking through. You're programming. It's a reverse numbers, Mason. Uh, and then you're like, tell us where the secret hidden missile thingy is. And you're like, you can tell the truth or listen to your Russian insides and say, no, a lie. Which I have no idea how that affects the end of the game, because neither of us did that, right? What? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just I kind of zoned out when you're trying to describe all this. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the hell happened, because it was kind of the that kind of story. <laughs> Cold War is the most needlessly complicated mo uh, Call of Duty story ever. Absolutely, 100%. It is so over-engineered. It was written by David S. Goyer, who I believe wrote the first Black Ops, and uh, a couple Batman movies and a couple Superman movies. So that guy is just way up his own ass in terms of over-complicating a story. So me trying to describe the events of Cold War to someone who has no idea what the hell is going on is impossible. I mean, hell, I can understand J.J. Abrams' writings in Alias much better than what you're well, trying to describe the here. Difference being, the difference being... J.J. Uh, Abrams doesn't have an answer for what's in the box. He has mystery box storytelling. Goyer's storytelling is a twist. Ooh, a twist. Ooh, a twist. Like M. Night Shyamalan style. But he's pay and he does have payoffs. J.J. Abrams has no payoffs. Goyer has payoffs, but his payoffs are fucking stupid. His payoffs are, ah, it was evil all along. Oh, no. Who could have guessed? It's me, Austin. I, I, I think... <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, it's, I think in Black Ops, I keep calling it Black Ops because it it's is Black, Black Ops. Ops Cold, Cold War, War is the full name. You've got it right to half. I think Cold War has a very interesting story in terms of campaign, but it's dumb. It's like interesting to think about and maybe talk about somebody who did an alternate choice or something, but ultimately it's very stupid. And they just try to copy what they did in the previous games, you know, of like 
the weird sort of multiple choices that Black Ops 2 had and the mind control shit that Black Ops 1 had and the we're going to ignore uh, the ending of Black Ops 2 because this game takes place in the 70s and 80s. So Mason and Wood should be super fucking old. And they're only kind of old. Oh, yeah, and Zombie Reagan is in there. They got a guy, they got, like, Digital Reagan. That was weird as fuck. Almost too lifelike. Bugged me out more than Digital Gorbachev. No, it was too death-like. It wasn't a real human. I could tell that wasn't a, a person. Mm. It's like, Mr. Woods, I need you. Find the man. It's like, wow, this is a terrible impression. Of a Texan accent. And considering in the first Black Ops, they did the fake Kennedy, too. Mm. Now, Mason, I told you all the best man we have. <laughs> Was that shanty Irish? <laughs> I think you'd be more the expert on that. Anyways, uh, I'm currently playing the Modern Warfare 2 campaign. I haven't finished it yet, unfortunately. I was going, I was planning on finishing it before we recorded this podcast, but there's an AC-130 mission again, and it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever done. I'm on record. Everyone... Way back when, this is a long time ago, so you might not remember, but everyone loved that AC-130 mission. I don't even remember what it's called from from the original Modern Warfare. Do you remember what that level's called? Death from above, simple. Okay, well, everybody loves that mission. I hate it. I, you remember the memes from the kaboom, got a runner. Yeah. It's yeah, that they're again. They're just being professionals. They're not professionals in Modern Warfare 2 reboot. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of screaming, a lot of swearing. Uh, we're taking fire, uh, danger close, uh, people screaming oh, and screaming oh, and screaming. because it's during tense moment. Because don't you know there's friendlies down there and uh, they're shooting back at you? Maybe they're a little more tense. But whereas in the first mission, nobody's shooting you down, so they're just chill. Yeah, and I, I have to keep dropping flares. and They're yelling at me. They're getting overrun and they're yelling at me. I can't figure out where I'm getting shot from and they're yelling at me. It's a horrid mission i almost abandoned the campaign seriously but i powered through it and then immediately after that is a remake of the all gillied up mission <laughs> like literally price is quoting mcmillan in the in the modern for two like i because i played these games you know so recently so i freaking remember them right yeah. and uh so he's quoting his i guess his former commander his former sergeant lieutenant whatever lieutenant and you're sneaking through all ghillie suit, and he's like, oh, don't move. I'll put your gun away. And it's like, I'm just sitting here waiting in the fucking brush. And the mission you saw me playing was the ending of that mission where... You went to the lighthouse. Yeah, but it's still like, all right, don't move. Don't look at people. Nope. Wait for them to pass. Adjust for bullet drop. And he's like, two marks down. I was surprised, actually, he didn't talk about the Coriolis effect. I guess we weren't far away enough. No, because it wasn't a mile-long shot. Well, windage still matters, even if it's not uh, curvature. By the way, curvature matters at, like... Actually, it's miles. No, it is miles. Okay, curvature matters for miles, but windage matters anywhere. Ten feet will matter for windage. Even the biggest projectile known to man, which is just artillery shells. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, those still have to be adjusted for windage. I never had to adjust for windage in the campaign that's adjusted for drop. This is all very boring bullet talk. I'm sorry. Um... The story itself is like they try to, they take, I don't want to spoil anything for you necessarily. Uh, I can do that off air. Or for anybody but listening. they try to take, well, Rob said he was half interested, so I didn't want to spoil anything. They take story elements from the first two original Modern Warfare games and put them in here. So 
major scenes that you remember are sort of recreated in the new games. Because I, w I was fully expecting Modern Warfare Reboot to recontextualize or redo stuff from 2007's Modern Warfare. They didn't do that. I was very surprised. It's almost like a prequel. Uh, but in Modern Warfare 2, they do do a lot of things from original from 2007-2009. It's like more, you know, my, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it, updated for a modern audience. Yeah, because the old World War Three scenario is kind of unrealistic based on how did it get to one over there. I don't know about that because in this in Modern Warfare 2, we're fighting the fucking Russians again. I'm so tired of this but it, Russian but at least shit. They're, but at least they're else. not in America. Yeah, we went to them. We took the fight to the Ruskies. It's like, I, I get, what's the line from uh, Some of All Fears? It's like, why are we fighting the Russians again? It's like, I'm not afraid of the whatever that has a thousand nukes. I'm afraid of the whatever with one. Yeah. Whatever the line is, you know. I'm going to cut this. It's terrible. Yeah, that, no, you got it right. I'm just very tired of the Russians and, you know, whatever. We're not talking about current events here. It's not a current events podcast. Oh, no, sir. But we're just talking but, about the like, trope I, I, of the Russian bad guy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in in media, they're the forever bad for at least seventy years now. Yeah, uh, it's almost like if you're looking for an alternative, there's always Serbians uh, or sometimes Albanians because thugs. You would think so, but like for a very brief time in the '90s and certainly the early 2000s, it's like ah, uh, uh, anyone with browner skin, you know, Iraqis and Afghanis. They're all bad, but then we decided that was bad somehow, so we went back to Russians. Like, come on, man! <laughs> and we and he, and hell forbid we do any sort of Asian enemies. Well, it's usually North Koreans, which is fine, which are natural enemies. When's the last time you had a North Korean in a video game? Oh, in a video game? Not sure, but I know a few movies <laughs> where they where I remember. Was it White House Down? One of them damn White House invasion movies or. <laughs> Because I recall in the writing, it says originally it was going to be Chinese, but no, we rewrote it. Instead, it's North Korean. Yeah, we can't make money the Chinese. We owe them money, and we release movies there. We can't have Chinese people be enemies, even though it would make a lot more sense than having, you know, I guess Russia, China. Who, who else is our enemies? Uh, North Korea. Iran. Yeah, but that's racist. <laughs> but, but Persians are just as white as us. That's the difference. I know that, Thomas. Don't tell me that. But Russians are almost predominantly white, so it's totally fine to hate them. This is the problem when, when uh, your politics gets involved in your storytelling. You can't tell as interesting stories. Cold War, Modern Warfare 2, uh, actually, well, the World War II games didn't do it, so you have those, but we just keep fighting the fucking Russians. It's the same deal in Battlefield. Just, we just keep fighting the fucking Russians. We have no other enemies in the world. That's why I liked Infinite, because we went to space. We weren't fighting space Russians. We were fighting against, like, what, evil corporations or something? We were fighting against one of the guys from Game of Thrones who had a confederacy of evil people. That helps. Because I don't. I only, like, <laughs> know two people from that series I never watched and never yeah, will. It's fine. Space Russians as seen in uh, Red Alert, right? Uh, the Command and Conquer series of games? Yeah. Uh -huh. Where Tim Curry is like, I'm going to space. Fuck this noise. Yeah, I've only played Red Alert 2. Oh, well, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, that, that meme where Tim Curry's like, I'm heading to the one place that isn't corrupted by capitalism. Space! I'm sure that, I mean, they did go to space uh, on 
its expansion pack. Back when DLCs were called expansion packs, you had to get them by disc, which was called uh, Red Alert 2, Yuri's Revenge. They did have a space level, which, which that plot involves a Russian who broke away from the Soviet Union to form his own faction because he wants to mind control the world. Because he's the because the main villain's into you know mind control. That's no more ridiculous than any other video game plot. Uh, yeah, we must have been talking about the plot for the Call of Duty because the mechanics, except with the exception of World War II and Vanguard, and the tiny side bits of Black Ops, it's all the same. You know, you point point and shoot. So gameplay hasn't changed much in the fifteen years, <laughs> but uh, this is the fifteenth year of Call of Duty dominating the market. Yeah. I don't know what the sales of Modern for 2 were, but I know what the sales of last year's were, and number one and number two sold game were Call of Duty. So this franchise is still popular. Uh, I did get back into multiplayer, briefly touch on that. Uh, it's not like I abandoned multiplayer entirely, I just abandoned Call of Duty multiplayer entirely. And I did play Battlefield for a few more years with Rob. One and five and the... I never, eh, very, very briefly played demos of 2042, but according to you, that game blows dick, so. Yeah, just, um. When's the last time you played 2042? Since, uh, the week it came out. Holy shit! Uh, it's just, um, it's like, is that all there is to it? Uh, and it's like, okay, let me just go away for a while, and I have to tell friends who are still playing, I'm like, hey, have they updated that yet? And they're like, no, they haven't. <laughs> is it fun yet? Uh, yeah, and then <laughs> June 2022, they finally updated it. Still didn't convince me. I was too entrenched with my usual video recording series and other side ventures. That's understandable. I don't have anything negative or necessarily even positive to say about Modern Warfare 2 multiplayer. It's Call of Duty. There are a lot of guys who jump around. There are, thankfully, no boost legs. That's what really turned me off in the old timeies. There's no real operator, like, special moves. I mean, there kind of are, but the special moves aren't, like, game-breaking. Uh, you know, you point and shoot. Sometimes people camp, sometimes people run past corners, sometimes people nade spam. Yeah, just same as it ever was. I just remembered, because as soon as you said the word camping, and I often make jokes about it whenever I'm partying with friends, anytime they use that word, um, I just use a, almost sounded like a, a politically correct term of what that guy is doing. And he's like, oh, he, you mean he's strategically placing himself in a corner? What I do, I, I didn't realize I did this until I saw myself in kill cams. What I like to do is not camp, but ADS. Like, I am so incapable of shooting someone without holding down the trigger to, to zoom in. Without looking down sight. It's like, I can't shoot someone unless I'm looking at them. So what I've started to do is walk around, you know, sneaking. The little piano, staccato music. While holding down the left trigger to zoom in on the sights. So that's how I just walk around now. It's like, huh, huh, huh? I'm looking for him. Where's the enemy? You see him? Just being cautious. Which, you know, narrows my field of view. But 80% of the time when I'm killed, it's from behind. Somebody runs behind me and shoots me in the back, and I never know about it until I'm dead. Fact of life. But I, I tolerate it more than I did in, like, Battlefield. Battlefield's problems are different than Call of Duty's problems. Because you, you end up in the same place in Battlefield... It just takes longer to get there. Like, one was the last major battlefield I played any significant amount of time before. And that was the most egregious example of you're going to run a mile, die, and run a mile. I haven't been sniped to hell. I got sniped to hell all the time in Battlefield. I haven't been sniped to hell in Modern Warfare yet. But I'm not, I'm not, double stamp. 
I'm not playing Warzone, the Battle Royale mode. Oh, no. I'm not playing any Battle Royale mode. The, the word I expected you to use was detest. I've spoken before on this podcast about them. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I don't find that fun or engaging. I understand why it's popular. I'm not interested in things that are popular, as it's very evident from my gaming history. Like, my favorite game of the year is probably one of the most unpopular games this year. It's probably like Gotham Knights or Saints Row, and those were lambasted on the internet. As opposed to, you know, what's probably going to win quote-unquote game of the year. Uh, fucking Elden Ring or God of War Ragnarok. I don't care about either of those games. They have no interest for me. Maybe you do with Norse people. You maybe play as Kratos and kill a bunch of Norse gods. Although apparently that's not really what happens. Yeah, I even had a few friends I talked to on Discord telling me, it's like, hey, you should play one of them Assassin's Creed games since you're a big history buff and all that. And I'm like, yeah, but in areas that I'm not typically, you know, into. I do have the disc of Valhalla, so you can put it on your Xbox One if you want. However, uh, it's a 100-hour game. <laughs> so I don't know if you have the time for it. My playthroughs are 100 hours as well. Yeah, but you get a lot done. This this is going to take 100 hours to get the whole thing. Also, the whole RPG mechanics. Also, you've never literally played an Assassin's Creed game. Also, you've never played a third-person game. It's not, no, your, not true. Your bread and um, cup of tea. A third person uh, in some other form. What? I was thinking... Well, yeah, in, in the styling of Assassin's Creed, yeah, I should say. in that style. Anyways, uh, I am... Mostly enjoying, my, except for the campaign narrative. I have narrative problems, and I have gameplay problems with the campaign. But I've enjoyed my time overall in Modern for 2. Uh, my biggest negative is file size. It's over, Since the Modern for reboot, they've started adding Warzone into the things, so it's... Integrated. I've had to buy them. I've had to buy them on PlayStation because I don't have room on Xbox. I have three terabytes, no, no, two and a half terabytes on my Xbox because of expansion slots. I don't have enough room for all the Call of Duty crap. It's gigantic. For some weird reason, every Call of Duty game is a larger file size on the Xbox than it is on PlayStation. I don't know what that's about, and I hope when Microsoft finally does buy Activision Blizzard, they can shrink the file size. I don't know how, but force them to figure it out, figure out technology, because it's untenable how large those files are. Well, me being a... I don't know if you want me to use that term. Me being a high-tech redneck, all I could say is, with modern technology, anything is possible. With modern warfare, anything is possible. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't regret playing replaying the old games. I don't regret playing the ones I've, I've missed out on. You know, I, I'm enjoying it. These are Overall, I am having fun, and that's the point of these things to me. You know, I, I, I place fun ahead of everything else. Yeah, I've... Out of storytelling, out of character work, anything. Yeah, I share that same sentiment in our train. lad. Did you say train? Yeah. I don't hear it. Oh, anyways, what I was trying to say is um, that I kind of feel that same sentiment. Like he says, yeah, you missed out on the games, much like how I missed out on some many great movies, including the uh, all the uh, MCO Avengers movies that we did a couple of months ago, um, where... Mm -hmm. I had my own, what I call, pop culture isolationism, a decade's worth of it, and I missed out on all that. <laughs> well, you just, it's not like you intentionally did it, you just didn't bother. No, it didn't bother. Now I hear the train. Great, thank you so much for cutting that out. 
But yeah, uh, it, it, I entire, it may entirely sour. Like the last two or three missions of Modern Warfare 2 might just be utter shit. I hate it. And maybe they'll have another gigantic update to, modern, to the multiplayer that'll make me hate the game. But so far, I'm having fun and I'm enjoying it. So uh, I think the real reason I'm enjoying it is because I'm playing by myself. And nobody else. Uh, you know, the other two guys on this here show, no shade, but they can get kind of intense and very competitive. And I'm not a competitive guy in terms of, in terms of games, in terms of games. Even on rare occasions when I play online games, I just don't feel competitive at all because remember the episode we did, I talk about making my own fun because I have this imaginative mindset. You have to make your own fun in these things because if you don't find a way to have fun, you're going to get angry. (laughs) And if you're getting angry, then why are you playing something that should be leisure? That's why I put fun above everything else. Yeah. It's like, oh, the game's graphics aren't very good, and it has a dumb story, and the voice acting is bad. It's like, I don't give a shit. I'm having fun. Yeah, just don't get mad. Get glad. I get mad about video games, but not the same reasons other people get mad about video games. You know, my mad is, is this fun? I've asked you every time we talk about Crusader Kings. Is this fun? What, uh, waste, uh, just putting your money on uh, things that may get you more money? As in, like, gambling? Hunting for whales? Hunting for Walruses. Uh, walrus walrus tusks to bring back to your nephew or whatever you do with them? Make a little aisle carving? Yeah, remember that? I got that narwhal horn. <clears throat> yeah. Was that fun? Uh, fun. I mean, it's, it's uh... Well, the, the little events that go along with the playthrough might be entertaining for some people that watch them. For me, it's just, yeah, it's happening in the life story of this character I'm playing as, and for, along with a few others. <laughs> but it's more of other people's enjoyment than anything else. So how I make my yeah. fun. Luckily, I don't have to worry about that with this here podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, but if you didn't, what do you want me to do about it? Do you have anything else? Because this is my ending. Nope, I think we got it all covered here. Uh, Thank you for listening anyways. uh, You can catch Thomas over on his YouTube channel, which is, one more time... The Lord Master channel. You want me to spell it out for you? Please? All right. (laughs) The uh, Lord Master channel, that's L-0-R-D space... No, no space, goddammit. Did it again. Muckerfutter. Um... It's L-0-R-D-M-S... God! I missed the A. We've got the Lord part, so that's um, L-0-R-D. No space in between. Master, that is M-A-S-T-A. You hear that kick in the keyboard? I will cut that previous mistake out so no one will ever know. Mm -hmm. You find me on the Twitter, I don't care what Elon's doing, I'm still going to be on there. I don't give a Pay shit. dollars or else. <laughs> I don't, I'm not paying $8. <laughs> if you give me $8, I'll pay it. I mean, I don't give a dick. That's where I am. I'm at Loki Jarson. Uh, we are available on iTunes if it updates, Spotify if it updates, and Amazon Music if it updates. I'm not in control of their servers. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>